All that said, you guys know Ronald. I don't need to introduce him much. He has served us for a long, long time. How long have you been at Lakeview, Ronald? Six years. Um, and I have appreciated Ronald's encouragement in a number of ways as I've walked through how do I, where do I fit here as a member of this church, as a person who's trying to help this place grow? And, sh- you know, how do I do a ministry like this? Um, Ronald and I have had good, long, difficult sometimes conversations about how do we, how do we serve the body around us? And he thinks so intentionally about that and about how to value the people in his care uh, above his own well-being sometimes. And, and I don't know anybody I've known who does a better job of, of honestly taking one for the team sometimes than Ronald does. Ronald is a servant. He absolutely is a servant. Uh, my kids have gotten to know his kids well. Your kids probably have gotten to know his kids well. They are not very easy to not know. Uh, they are big personalities, and they are great kids. Um, and I've loved watching my kids play with them, and I know that comes from how he and Andrea raised them. So uh, I'm looking forward to how he does these routines and discussing how we do it. Uh, so without any further rambling, here's Ronald. All right. Am I on mic? Yeah. So um, thank you for that. Um, and so officially this talk has not been vetted. Um, so it might be extra spicy and, and uh, interesting yeah. and, and have, a, have a whole bunch of stuff that at the end of the day will be Nick's fault. So if I say anything against official church teaching, you can blame Nick Missios because he uh, failed on his duty to make sure that I, um, I kept those things out. Uh, well, guys, um, the, the, um, I'm, I'm excited to share some thoughts with you um, this morning about uh, this topic and, and just kind of make the obvious statement where, you know, I'm one of you in this journey. Uh, I'm a dad like you guys are. Um, and um, where, where I feel like when it comes to this topic in the little bitty age, uh, I'm an expert at it right now. I can say that because I've got four kids and I screwed up on the first three, but number four right now, who's two, like she's getting the expertise now. Like I've, I've ironed out all, all the, all the uh, errors, all the mistakes, and now that I've really figured out how to do this with a two-year-old, the, our fourth kid who's two, uh, she now gets the actual knowledge in this, which means my 11-year-old, I have no idea what I'm doing. So, um, so some of you gray beards. Um, help us in that category, but wanted wanted to share some thoughts on on the topic of ha- habits um, of the household in general. Kind of build a foundation. Um, I would highly recommend uh, and second what Nick said about the book. Um, the, the book provides significant amount of really super practical stuff, uh, and so I'm I'm going to trust that you guys have this as a resource. Uh, but what I wanted to do is provide some foundation for. Um, why it is that you should do this, why it matters, and then spend some time at the end kind of bringing out some of the details of, okay, this is what I've done in my family. Here's what I've learned about my kids. Um, here's some things that have worked. Uh, here's, what it, here's how it's looked like in different seasons. And then just kind of share, share some of those things. And so the talk is being framed around five ideas. Uh, so on your outline, you have them there. Uh, and so let's start at the beginning. Idea number one relates to this entire um, series that we're talking about, the idea of habit. So idea number one is habits have the power to shape and form our kids, specifically using habits as gospel 
liturgies or patterns of life that create opportunities to point to Christ. So th- this, this book and this series that Nick has so wonderfully led us in hinges on this idea of the power of habits, the power of repeated routines, uh, discernible patterns of activities, and how just that, the nature of them, has the power to influence. That is the mechanism or a mechanism that you will use, that you must use to influence your kids' hearts, minds, souls, uh, uh, and, and, and bodies even. Just, just bringing influences um, in repeated uh, discernible patterns, what the, what, uh, the author calls gospel liturgies, as the tools that you use to shape and form your kids. Um, This is not just a secular idea. This is not just like new age thinking. This isn't something that even the 21st century man has developed. This is biblical. Uh, So look at Philippians chapter 4 there where Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice. There's a statement of repetition there. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So a few things to notice about that Philippians 4 passage. One, uh, habits uh, are immediately discernible. Um, so habits are things that you will notice, that you'll pick up pretty quickly. You, you, you don't have to spend a lot of time. You don't have to get a master's degree in discovering habits. They're evident. They're just right there on the surface of life. And so verse 9, Paul says that. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. So something about the life of the Apostle Paul, something about what he did, how he did it, when he did it was so obvious that people who walked around him for any length of time could pick those things up. They would notice that Paul, hey, Paul would do this. He would also do this. He would say this. He would engage in this way. He would think about these things. And so Paul picks that up and says, hey, guys, all those things, notice them, and then you do them yourself. So habits are immediately discernible. Number two, they're repeatable. Um, He tells them, practice these things. I love that. What you've seen from me, received from me, heard from me, practice these things. Uh, There's a copy-paste function to habits. Uh, You don't need a master's degree to learn how to do some things. You literally could just look. It's being modeled. Now I'm going to go do the same thing. So habits are immediately discernible. They're repeatable. And then this is super encouraging for all of us. And so we're starting broad right now. We're going to get really specific. But we're never going to abandon... The broad, because what what I, what I don't want this talk to to be is is the 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 secret sauce is in the specific habits. Like I I don't think I I would I'm I'm gonna succeed well in sharing some thoughts with you if I lead you to believe that the secret sauce is the specific habit that we'll talk about today. Uh, no, the secret sauce is the general idea of developing habits. Like that's the secret sauce. And, and so I love that, the, that, that Paul is gen, generously generic. Uh, l- look at verse 8. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worth of praise, that's a pretty long list, right? That's a comprehensive list of things. He says, um, think about these things. Like give yourself over to a massively large set of things that you could potentially do. 
uh, and they've got moral boundaries to them. They've got virtue boundaries um, to them, but whatever, if there is anything. And so when you go into the details of waking and sleeping, when we get there, don't forget that. Don't forget that what's going to win your kid's heart, what's going to win your kid's mind is not one specific book that you have to read or one set of nighttime routines that you have to do. That there's a massively large uh, uh, um, list of things that you have access to, that you find one that can work for you and your setting, get, get after it. And so, again, this is a biblical principle where Paul is getting super practical in Philippians 4. So idea number one is habits have the power to shape and form us and our kids. Uh, Idea number two, a unique opportunity to set habits shows up in the morning and in the evening. And the language we're using is waking and sleeping. So once we come to accept that habits in and of themselves are are powerful tools and mechanisms to shape and form the lives of our families and our kids, once we come to believe that, then we take that a step further and we recognize that there's a unique opportunity to do that in two key moments of the day, morning time and bedtime, or waking and sleeping. And again, this isn't modern wisdom. This isn't something that sociologists figured out in the 17th century. This is biblical. This is really old biblical. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. You may be familiar with this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is passage that Hebrew rabbis have labeled the Shema. Why is it called the Shema? That first word in verse chapter in chapter four here sometimes is translated to listen. Uh, the Hebrew word is is Shema. That's the actual Hebrew word. So this passage is called the Shema. Uh, Hear, O Israel. Hey, listen, O Israel. Most of us know that much, and most of us remember that much, and most of us have preached about that much. But look at the very next verse. The very next verse in the Shema. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, that's bedtime, and when you rise, that's morning time. So the Bible recognizes exactly what we're talking about today. That there are key moments in the life of a person. That there are these these calendar moments in every person's everyday life that somehow by design, I would dare to say, are opportunities for something to take place that in another moment in, in, in the day may not have as much of an effect. So it's almost like God built us in such a way where something can be uh, 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 extended to us in the morning and extended to us at nighttime. And so these are patterns that Moses, being inspired by the Holy uh, Spirit, writes the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your God, with, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These words I command you shall be on your heart. You will teach these words to your children when? All the time. But then he gets more narrow. Particularly when you rise, when you wake up, and when you lie down, when, when you go to bed. So don't, don't, don't go, go past that. Don't miss out on these details. 
where, where in some sense, this is not necessarily a formula, but in another sense, that doesn't, this, this means something. That there, there's something unique about how God has made us and how God communicates his word to his prophet Moses for his people in this particular detail. So don't miss out on the unique opportunity that you have um, to uh, um, install these gospel liturgies, to install this ability to influence your child's soul, heart, and mind in these two key moments in the day. Morning and evening, or the language we're using is waking and sleeping. So, habits are important. That was idea number one. Uh, Morning and uh, bedtime are key moments for the habits to form and penetrate and influence greatly. That's point number two. Now, let's continue to narrow this down. Idea number three is that morning and evening habits provide ample opportunities for development in three key areas. Right? So... So when, when, when we go to develop these habits, what are we aiming at? What, what, what are we aiming at? What are we wanting to do by doing something in the morning with our family and doing something at bedtime with our family? What is it that we're after? Are, are, are we just after uh, some kind of religious ritual? Are we just after family time? Are we just after you know, a generic view of this is how I think parenting should be done. All those things um, are possibly good byproducts of, of giving over to these habits. But I, I want to suggest that there's three categories that we should be thinking about that serve as the goals or what we're aiming for to develop in these moments. Uh, we're, we're seeking to develop spiritual lives, emotional understanding, and relational growth in our families and in our kids. So spiritual lives. Um, this typically um, works really well in the morning, right? So the morning habit in particular, the waking time in particular, is a key uh, area that can be developed in the morning. The idea of a consecration unto the day. There's an old uh, um, Latin phrase um, that's been carried through our church history, coram deo, uh, walking before the face of the Lord, that you live your life before the face of God. This type of idea. And again, this isn't something the church invented in the Middle Ages. This isn't something that modern day. Uh, all my quotes are, are the Bible. All my quotes are the Bible. Psalm 5 verse 3 says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. And lest you think that I just Googled passages in Scripture that talk about the morning. There's a whole bunch of them. This isn't just a proof text. This is Jesus' example in Mark chapter 1 verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark... He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So there is something unique, something unique. Most of us, I'll ask you this. How many of you guys have a quiet time in the morning? Raise your hand. How many of you at some point in your life have had a quiet time um, in, in, in the morning? Raise your hand. How many of you would like to have a quiet time in the morning? Raise your hand. Okay, so all of you have raised your hands, and and there's something about that, right? Um, I'm not a neuroscientist. I don't know the brain in that in in, in that category real uh, real well. But stuff that I've read in this in this um, department, there's there's like a reset button that gets pushed when we go to bed and when we when we wake up. 
There's something about the human brain when it wakes up. It's just, it's like, it's a sponge ready to absorb stuff. We're brighter. Now with me, I need coffee first, but, but there's something about the human brain that it's just, it's at its, at its primed state to, to, it's like a clean state. And I'm being very, very um, general about this. Um, but it's a key moment. I think God designed us that way. And so most of us think of, hey, when is it a good time for me to get close to the Lord? When it's a good time for me personally to have a, have a quiet time with the Lord. Most of us associate the early morning hours uh, with that. And I would say, yes. Um, so connect that with the development of your family, right? Connect that with your children and your Wife, that the morning time is an opportune time where we can teach our families to do something very unique in our modern setting, and that is replace the replace the need to bow before the tyranny of the urgent with the desire to consecrate ourselves before God. Um, how many of you grew up in a farm? Anybody grew up in a farm? <laughs> um. I didn't grow up in a farm, but um, I grew up around people that grew up in a farm. And, and my wife grew up around people that grew up in a farm. And there's something habitual about people that grew up in the farm. And, and it has to do with the early morning, right? And uh, people that grew up in a farm don't wake up at 9 a.m. They don't wake up at 8 a.m. They don't wake up at 7 a.m. They don't wake up at 6 a.m. They may wake up at 5 a.m., but they're typically up really early, right? Uh, people that grow up in farms. Um, and, and as I've talked to folks, friends um, throughout my life, and I've heard stories, I, I've just heard that pattern so frequently about how the dynamic of growing up in the farm functionally set them up for success in life further on. Because the pattern of rising early and getting work done early just instilled in them a sense of not only responsibility, work ethic, but it just created something in them that people who didn't grow up in a farm, um, just it was harder for them. It was, it, was, it was much, much harder for them. I think there's a spiritual parallel here. There's a spiritual parallel here uh, for us that we live in a setting where everything is out to get our attention. And people who have spent gazillions of dollars making um, devices like the one in my pocket, like the one in your pocket, they know how to get your eyeballs. Um, and so typically what's going to happen, um, I don't have to tell uh, some of you guys this, but you wake up and some of you, the first thing on the top of your brain when you wake up is, this is what I need to get done today, right? That's what I call the tyranny of the urgent. There are things that you have to get done. There's, there's responsibilities you have. These are not bad things, right? But can I submit something to you? You, you may be shocked about this. If you have children, they don't know how to manage that. They, they don't know how to manage that. And their lives are probably going to be busier than ours. Because probably when they get to be your age, there'll be more devices and more stuff and more information, right? And so they need someone to teach them how to turn off the urgent and how to turn on the spiritual. And so this is where you come in. Like, this is precisely the moment of the day where you can do that. Now, if you're not doing that, I'm not condemning you. I'm, I'm just encouraging you to. This is the power of this particular habit in this particular place of the day. 
where you could hack your, ch- your child's brain to literally figure out, hey, listen, you're about to embark into 24 hours where every second of the day, something is going to be screaming at your attention. You know how I handle that? I go before the Lord. I sit in quiet and solitude before the Lord with the Bible. And so something I'm going to be doing very, very, very soon is I'm going to be taking my oldest one, who's um, 11, through a 40-day morning devotional. So I'm going to be waking up at about 5.30, 6 o'clock, going to her bedroom, waking her up, and bringing her downstairs. And and my devotional is going to be leading her through her devotional. And that's going to be our thing for the next 40 days. And what I'm trying to do there is I'm trying to teach you, hey, this is how you do it. Like, this is how you have a quiet time. This is what your daddy tries to do every day. He doesn't get to do it every day, but this is so important. And it's, it's more important than it just keeps you level-headed and cool and calm and collected to face a, a busy day. It's more important than that. It, it's, it's, this connects you to life because you're connected to the life giver. So that's what I'm trying to teach in that moment. So the morning is an opportune time. The morning is not the only time to do this. Uh, you could certainly do this in, in, in the evening, but I would highly encourage you guys to, to, to think about using that morning time in some way. And then at the end, we'll, we'll, we'll actually unpack more, more suggestions and then maybe get some suggestions from, from, from you guys. Um, but the second area of development is emotional understanding. That both of these uh, um, uh, um, segments uh, provide um, the ability to emotionally understand. Now, in, in the same way that the spiritual development I have found um, works really well in the morning time, the, this emotional understanding works really well in the evening time. And so look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30. This may not be a passage you'd expect me to read for something um, related to this topic. But if you know the Old Testament, Deuteronomy is is Moses' last rehearsal with the people of Israel before they go into the promised land, right? So he's, he's kind of re-preaching uh, uh, the, the, his sermon hits, kind of kind of re-walking them through their history, where they are, where they're going. And at the very beginning of the book, Moses writes, uh, this is the Lord speaking through Moses, the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. A better translation would read as a father carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Now, this passage is directly after uh, uh, 10 or four, uh, 10, 10 or 12 verses where uh, the Lord is scolding the people of Israel. So fatherly discipline is followed by this reminder of, of God using the language. So, so God, God is trying to appeal to something they know. And he says, you know how I'm going to be with you guys when you go into that deep, scary place called Canaan that, you know, there's giants there. There's the unknown there. Uh, uh, you know how I'm going to be with you. You know how I'm going to walk with you. I'm, I'm not going to, in this passage, I'm not going to walk with you as a strong warrior. I'm not going to walk with you as a powerful, majestic warrior, fighter, conqueror. I'm going to carry you as a father carries his son. And so the, the, the only way that that makes any sense is if you, if you accept the reality that there is something beautiful 
in a father carrying a son. That there's something emotionally connected in addition to discipline, in addition to correction, in addition to, to the role of authority that a father comes and places upon his children, there's something more than just that when it comes to the relationship between a father and his son. There's this caring dimension. There's this, there's this knowing when the son needs to be carried, right? Knowing when the son needs to be carried, not when the son needs to be disciplined. Because sometimes our kids will screw up and... Fatherhood is figuring out, okay, you just did something stupid. It was wrong. But do I discipline you right now or do I carry you? What do I do right now? Like, that's what I'm trying to figure out in my own parenting, right? Uh, Now, discipline is going to show up. And can I combine discipline and caring? Probably. Um, Do I delay one before the other? Probably. And so uh, gray beards, help, help me out with that, right? How have you guys managed that? But, but this is the emotional understanding that the evening provides you a window into that. A, the evening provides you a long uh, litany of things that your kids have done wrong that day. Um, a, a, a long list of things that they failed to do. Maybe you sent them up to the room to clean their room and you go up and say goodnight and they didn't clean the room, right? So... An emotional understanding, how how do you shepherd, how do you carry them in that um, moment? And and it's interesting because the morning and the evening are natural buffers surrounding the events of the day. And so the evening could be where you pick up the fruit that you planted in the morning. So, for example, he he suggests, and we're going to talk about this soon, he suggests that the morning time be, be mornings where you dismiss your family in a blessing. Or when you communicate to your loved ones, hey, I love you. And at the end of the day, I'm still going to love you, regardless of what you do. Okay, that phrase right there. You are my child. You are my daughter. You are my son. I will always love you. You tell them that in the morning, and then they go out and their kids that day, and then you remind them of that in the evening. Hey, I still love you. Hey, uh, you dropped the ball here. Hey, you failed here. Hey, you made us, you know, whatever. I, my relationship to you is still the same uh, because I love you. So de- developing um, and uh, emotional understandings. And then third, r- relational growth. So here I have in mind the idea of, of something all of us have easy at our disposal. It's instinctive for us as dads to put the authority card down, right? Uh, we, we never not put it down. Uh, this is God's ordained me- method uh, and role that he has for us as husbands and as fathers. That we are the, 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 the tip of the spear when it comes to uh, mirroring the authority of a good God into our family. This is what we've been asked and tasked to do. Uh, but this is not the only thing we've been asked to do. And, and if you're like me, um, authority is something that I, I tend to... I, I tend to to want to ex- every encounter I have with my kids, my default is what they're going to list here first is authority. That the flavor that they're going to hear and sense from me is authority. So what I'm submitting to you is that the morning and evening times have the the added benefit and opportunity of of widening the palate, uh, um, uh, attenuating your sound as a father, where your your kids will hear a different type of sound from your voice that's not just authority, but that's also wisdom. So the idea of authority plus wisdom. Look at Matthew 7 with me, 9 through 11. 
This is Jesus saying, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So even then, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. So the question I have is, what constitutes a good gift? Who determines what a good gift is? The giver of the gift or the receiver of the gift? And be careful how you answer that because tomorrow is Mother's Day, right? And so you may think you have a good gift, you may think, oh, I've, got, I've got a good gift, and just look at your wife or your mom's face tomorrow when you give her that good gift, and, and she'll let you know if the gift is good, right? So how do you come to know um, what is a good gift? And I think, I think the answer is obvious, right? The recipient will tell you if this is a, a good gift. This is what we try to do at Christmas, right? We try to surprise our loved ones, buying them good gifts. And, and what do we eventually want to do? Like, what, what, at the bottom, uh, like, what do we want to do with Christmas? We want to get them what they want, right? And so to get them what they want, to get them that thing that they want, we, we, we relate to them. We come to know them. We come to know their needs, their desires. We get them excited. So we want to surprise them with something that we know they're going to like. And so, and so the authority plus wisdom thing is, is, is this notion of that the morning and evening habits help us broaden the sound of our voice from a man of authority only to a man who shares wisdom and affection. Practically, this is what this looks like. Um, the morning times are typically, um, as, as I've seen them, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, I am getting ahead of myself. Um, the morning times and the evening times, the waking and the sleeping times, give your kids an opportunity to hear you um, teach, exercise wisdom, exercise knowledge, uh, be funny, uh, narrate a story, ask questions, show care. If you have multiple kids and you do some of these practices and, and when they see you show affection to one of your other kids, when, 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 they, when they witness you pray before the Lord, your, your kids are watching something. Like they're watching, okay, so my dad is not just the guy who says yes or no. So um, growing up, I had really good parents. Um, I, I, I'm grateful to the Lord for the upbringing uh, my parents had. But this is an area that marked me in, in the sense that um, my dad was involved um, like w when things went nuclear, you know. Um, my mom would be the d disciplinarian of the house. She, she, the belt was quick and, and, and I deserved every single one of those uh, um, uh, smacks. But when things got to DEFCON 5, right, I'm calling dad. And so I, I, I came to know that dad showed up on the scene when I was, when I was going to get laid into, right? When, when, when it was like catas catastrophe on my behalf, that's when dad s stepped in, okay? That's, what I'm, that's an extreme example. But that's what we want to work against as fathers is w what I'm trying to say. That our authority should not be the only thing our kids know about us. Our authority should not be the only things our kids see us affect on them. That they should see us as wise men. That they should see us as people who grapple the scriptures and are able to teach and, and are, 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 are able to share uh, counsel, who are tender, who are funny, uh, who are entertaining. 
So broadening the relational category, the morning and the evening habits provide opportunities for that. Idea number four, fathers have a key role in instituting and executing these formative habits. Now, now I, I thought about skipping this point altogether because it was so obvious, but we, we live in the world in a current cultural moment where the things that are self-evident are, are being railed against. Um, so our current cultural moment, the self-evident nature of ontology, things like men and women, they're not being ignored. They're being repudiated. They're being redefined. And so uh, we find ourselves having to say things that are obvious because we need to. So fathers, you have a key role in instituting and executing these formative habits. So if I can encourage you guys to do one thing is to grab on to that wonderful opportunity God's given you as a father to shape the life of your family. So God's entrusted your family to you to do that. You have influence over your kids. And Paul says this in this way in uh, Ephesians 6, 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, what's interesting about this passage is uh, a number of things, but at least two things, as I was reading and preparing, jumped out at me in, 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 in this passage. The word ability and the word responsibility. Fathers have a unique ability and responsibility toward their children's hearts and soul. Uh, fathers have a unique ability. There is something fathers are entrusted and equipped to do. And we are given the tools to do that. And, and if I can come at this from this, from, from this angle, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The world, society knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'll give you three, three secular examples of how this point is made. Uh, a common grace issue like this is made throughout the world. I'm a child of the 80s and the 90s, our table, we were talking about our upbringing and I grew up watching, you know, what kids in the 90s watch. And I'm a kid of the 90s, so I watched, you know, sitcoms like Saved by the Bell and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And if you haven't watched either one of those, that's fine. But the Will Smith show, uh, uh, Prince of Bel-Air, uh, Will Smith, if you don't know who that is, he's the guy who slapped the Cam- uh, Chris Rock at the, at the Oscars the other day. T- terrible moment. But um, one of the most, I used to love that show, um, and I still do. Wh- one of the key episodes in that show, the whole story hinges around this kid from Philadelphia who's born and raised on a playground where he spent most of the days uh, chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool, and he was shooting some bebo lights out of school. But then see a couple of guys who were up to no good. They started making trouble in the neighborhood, and he got into one little fight, and his mom got scared and said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel-Air. Right? So that's the, the, the Thank you. Thank you. Love that show. Lo- love that show. So here's a kid from the Philadelphia Projects, single mom, who goes to live to Bel-Air with his rich uncle and auntie. And um, there's one episode in that entire series that when, when I watch that, I cry. One episode. And, and you, you, you guys know exactly wh- what I'm talking about. Will's dad shows up. He shows up. He's been absent from his life, but he shows up. And uh, Will's an 18-year-old guy at this moment, and uh, Will's excited. He, he has his dad back. 
And um, make a long story short, the guy, you know, Will's excited. The dad's excited, but the dad's excited for the wrong reasons because Will's living with really rich relatives. And so at the end of the episode, what does Will's biological father wind up doing? He winds up deserting him again. And so Will, just one of the most powerful moments of acting, you know, he he tells Uncle Phil, you know, um, um, why doesn't he love me, man? And, and that, if, if you're older than me, that means nothing to you. But for my generation, l- let me just tell you how that affected my generation. That trope, that idea is all over culture. Uh, you see this in the Marvel's cinematic universe of Thanos, the really big bad guy in the whole um, Avengers thing. Thanos is a dad figure to two daughters. And one daughter he loves, the other daughter he hates. And the daughter, the daughter that he doesn't love winds up destroying herself and winds up being, you know, terribly corrupted because of the lack of the positive influence of her dad in his life. And then most recently, for some strange reason, I watch myself, find myself watching uh, YouTube videos of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard uh, trial that's going on right now. And I've got reasons um, for doing that. Um, but Johnny Depp uh, was on the stand um, earlier this this week, and um, he recounts. So, if it's, it's Hollywood actor, Hollywood actress, sexual abuse, defamation lawsuit, he's claiming uh, that, that, that uh, his career suffered because of her. Uh, this thing she wrote, uh, op-ed she wrote. So he's suing her, and it's a really toxic relationship, real, real, real toxic, physical, uh, aggressive. Um, relationship, as far as I can understand, both ways. But when when Johnny was in the stand, he's talking about how how he dealt with the moments where Amber, his wife, physically beat him, and he describes uh, that he would just take it. and And the reason he said I, he said, I think I just took it because I remember when my mom hit my dad, and how he would just take it. And so here's three different episodes, three, three different moments in our modern setting where the, the influence of the father, positively or negatively, is clearly laid before your eyes. So that's what I'm trying to get you guys to recognize, that fathers, we have a unique ability to get inside our kids' hearts in a way that no other relationship on earth has. Now, I'm not suggesting that mothers can't do this. I'm not suggesting any of that. But look at this verse. Again, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Mothers are not given that admonition in Scripture. Why is that? Maybe many reasons. But I think one of the reasons is because God has wired us in such a way that we have a unique ability to get really deep into their hearts. Um, and this is also a responsibility. So I, I, I love that this passage doesn't say, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Um, so when you discipline them, be, be nice and polite. It's interesting that he connects the idea of do not provoke your children to anger with the responsibility of bringing them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. That the ability for us to penetrate their hearts quickly is matched with our, uh, with our responsibility to educate them, to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. So by virtue of you being a dad, is what I'm trying to say, 
by virtue of you having a son or a daughter in this room, you have a unique ability that no book will give you, that no habit will give you, that no technique will give you, that no practical wisdom you can earn on the street will give you. God has designed you as a father by virtue of that relationship in your children's life to be able to penetrate quickly into their hearts. So take advantage of it, is what I'm trying to say. Um, Use that for their development. I'm going to skip the Ephesians 5 passage, Um, but there's a parallel, by the way, to husbands uh, um, and their wives. Idea number five. So how do we do all this? Ronald, you talked about habits are powerful. Um, uh, What was idea number two was there's a unique set of habits that are uniquely capable of doing good stuff, morning and evening. And then the morning and evening open themselves up to three key areas of development. And then, oh, yeah, fathers, we kind of have to do this because not only our role is key, but um, we've been tasked by the Lord to do this. So how do we do this? How do we practically functionally uh, uh, to-do list this thing starting tonight. Well, here's idea number five. There's no right way to do it. There's no specific way to do it. There's no uh, secret sauce, a key magical phrase, uh, a 10-step method to do this perfectly. There isn't one. Mark chapter 2, verse 27, out of the many things Jesus said in the New Testament that would have garnered a violent response from very committed Jews was this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. If you recognize what value the Jewish people placed on the Sabbath, not because they were uh, uh, biblically illiterate, but because they believe that God is loved and honored by doing that which God has asked you to do. And so if God has set aside the Sabbath as a, as a day to keep holy, then their mind is, the better I do that, the better I show love and honor to God. That gets corrupted, fair enough. But that's at the core of what they want to do. And here comes Jesus and reframes that. And he says, you, you've misunderstood what the purpose of the Sabbath was. That the purpose of the Sabbath is what we're talking about today. The Sabbath is a habit. It's a routine God worked six days of the week and he rested on the seventh. So you guys rinse and repeat every week for the rest of your life. You work six weeks, you rest on the seventh. You work six weeks, you rest on the seventh. That's the habit. But that habit was not given to you so that you would idolize that habit or that you would use that habit as a means to earn the affection of God. You don't serve that habit. That habit serves you. That's what I'm trying to communicate to you guys. So there's no right way to do them. Some of you guys may be terrible in the morning, but rock stars at night, right? Some of you guys, Ronald, listen, moment you said, you know, lead your family through a devotional in the morning. I'm, I, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. I got to get to work at six. My kids are not up. I mean, Ronald, I leave the house in the morning and my kids are still sleeping. I don't know what you're talking about, dude. I just can't that happen. But then maybe you haven't considered using the night or the other way around. So there's no right way to do these habits. We must resist the temptation to legalism and idolatry. Salvation is by grace through faith alone, not by works, and that includes habits. So you will not save your children's souls by making sure that every morning you lead them in a in their quiet time and every evening you read them a Bible story. Now, Try and do that. (laughs) It'd be great if we did that, but their souls are not dependent on your faithfulness to the habit. 
Their souls are dependent on a merciful God calling them to salvation through the Holy Spirit. We also worship at the foot of the cross, not at the calendar of our routines. So don't sacrifice your life in the pursuit of perfection of these habits. Use them. There's many of them. You will walk in and out of them. You will have seasons where your habits are are flourishing, are exciting, when every day you're reading Chronicles of Narnia, the entire series, and you feel really good about yourself, and then you stop reading for two months. That, that's, out, that's out of me. I, I read seven books with my kids. Every single day I felt really good, and then we couldn't find, okay, so when we finish with this seven-book series, what do we do at the end? I don't know. And that I don't know process lasted two months. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure. That's, that's going to happen. That's actually totally, totally normal. So real quick and real practical. Waking. Uh, morning habits, I have found, tend to be more instructional, educational, and developmental. So if you do something in the morning, typically what I have found is um, this is a good moment for uh, uh, family Bible studies, family devotionals. Uh, uh, things in the, the, the realm of catechism, where you're walking your kids through a book of the Bible, uh, where you're, you're reading them a chapter of the Bible a day, uh, where, where you're trying to draw out uh, theological ideas. Again, their minds are fresh, right? And so they're, they're, they're going to be going to school, and their minds are going to get poured into by science and history and grammar. Good things, right? We can do the same. It's pouring some doctrine. Talk about the Trinity today. Talk about you know God's goodness and God's justice. Uh, do, um, do all these things. Um, so a quick suggestion for you, if you've been dying to start a, a uh, morning routine habit element in the morning, it's like, yeah, I've always wanted to do something with a family man, but I, I, I don't know what that looks like. Um, page 44 of the book gives a wonderful one. It's an easy one. This is a sure home run that you could do this for the next week. And you have a week of success behind you that you can then start building on. He calls it prayer to gather and send your family. I can't give you a better one because I think that's, that's wonderful. So what the author suggests is before you guys go your way, you guys gather the family and you guys a short prayer. Again, what you're building is the habit, right? What you're building is the content of the prayer is important. That you pray is important, but the habit is what's key. Right. And so the prayer I have there for you guys is this. Lord, may our lives give glory to your name today. Help us love you and love each other more than we did yesterday. Be near to each of us today. Amen. That's it. If you don't do a family devotion, if you haven't done anything in the past two, three, four, five years in the family, start there. Start there this week. Just 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 do that. And what you would have done is if you do that faithfully for this week, you've already carved in that time. You've created the teeth of the habit that then you can start building on. So then you can come to my brother Nick or to me or to whomever and say, hey, what else can we do? It's like um, those two sentence prayers were helpful, but now we need to go on to something else. Great. Now let me add a little bit more. And then you kind of kind of build things. And so for us as a family... This sometimes has looked at has looked like us reading a chapter of the Bible, uh, going through different books, going through and by going through different books, I don't mean that I do this. You know, family, listen to your father preach this morning. We are in in the the, the book of First Corinthians, chapter three. We will be looking at. That's not what I sound like in the morning. 
uh, in the morning, five to ten minutes with the kids. Um, half of them aren't paying attention. The other half are kind of paying attention. Uh, my wife is trying to tell me to hurry up because she's got, you know, that's what it's going to look like, right? So five to ten minutes. Once you build the habit, however, here's the magic. Here's the secret sauce. Once you build the habit, the darnest thing is going to happen. Your kids are going to notice when you don't do it. Your kids are going to notice when you don't do it. And they're going to ask you, hey, aren't we praying? And when you get there, oh, that's gold. Like that, that's your goal right there, to get them to notice that this is what we value. And, and, and hey, we didn't pray this morning. Um, praise God when that happens. It's just one of the, the, the best moments. Um, so that's in the, the morning time. In the sleeping time, I mentioned earlier that evening, evening habits tend to be more relational, conversational, creative, and entertaining. Uh, so something that my family has done uh, out of the suggestion of my friend uh, Nick is uh, we've, we've always read our kids um, like uh, Jesus Storybook Bible type things, small little things, um, um, Bible stories, Christian stories. But um, Nick got me into reading my kids fiction. And uh, this served a number of different things. I, I, I wanted to, to work against the digital diet of my kids. Um, um, so gr- gray beards, this is something you guys have no concept of. Guys my age, this is something we kind of have a concept of. But our children will never know what living non-digital means. Like I still remember living kind of non-digital where if I wanted to play a video game, I'd have to physically go to a TV, turn it on, put the cassette player, or, or, or do, and then that kind of evolved over to where we are now. So I, I remember, I remember the, uh, the Super NES, the classic Nintendo, the Atari. I remember all those things, but they were located in one central area of, of the room where, 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 where I would detach from it and go live life, Right? Our kids don't live in that setting, right? Our kids, they're completely attached to this or to an iPad. Uh, yours may not be, but, but this is the world they're growing up in. And so um, I'm not going to speak into whether your kids should or shouldn't have an iPad, should, should have an iPhone. That's not what I'm, I'm, they're living in a digital world. And so whatever we can do to kind of go against the grain and help develop categories of their mind, uh, the analog uh, creativity. And so read aloud was, was something that, that just worked so incredibly well. Now, this is hard for us. I have four kids, uh, 11, 8, 5, and 2, and my 5-year-old has autism. Um, and so we've been reading aloud for a uh, n- number of years now. And um, on and off, uh, I'll read a chapter of a book every night. Um, most of the nights, the oldest one is the only one that stays awake. The eight-year-old falls asleep. The other two uh, are either make it prohibitive because they're too loud, they're jumping off the walls, but we have stayed in that schedule. And I can't tell you, I cannot tell you how unbelievably amazing it's been for continuing conversations through the day, through the week, through the month, at vacation, where the storyline of the book we're reading connects to our storyline where the, the characters in the book r- relate to us. And we find ourselves having conversations in the car about the book and, and, and moments in the book serve as pulpit moments where, where we can grab and, and it's done. Um, point number, what was it? 
this whole relational growth, authority plus wisdom. If you have kids, you know that kids ask questions, right? Oh my gosh, kids ask questions. And I've noticed that the more fiction I've read, good fiction, the more questions my kids have asked. And again, who are they asking these questions to? The guy reading the book. And can, can, can I confess something to you guys? You, please, don't think it, please don't think me any lesser. But half the times they ask me a question, I don't know what the answer is. I don't. Now, I don't tell them that. Right? Don't, 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 don't tell them that. Um, unless it's like, Dad, do, do you understand the Trinity? No, that can't be understood. Um, you know, the, uh, those questions. But what's happened is the sleeping moments have normalized conversations. Like we're now using the book for the entertainment aspect of the book, but we go through that for our own engagement. And so the story that we're enjoying is actually a tool to enjoy each other. Like that's what's happened over a long period of time of reading the book. They'll ask me, hey, dad, what's your favorite character? Now, now, now we're, we're talking about things. Hey, dad, what do you think about this? Hey, dad, what do you think about that? So I would highly, highly recommend uh, read aloud. It's not complicated. You open up a book. Um, Nick could give you suggestions. I could give you suggestions. Uh, and read with your family. Now, here's where I insert a comment um, to those of you who have who don't have littles in the house. So, Ronald, that sounds good, man, but my kids are 15, 16, and 17. I'm not sure that reading at their bedside uh, is appropriate or that they'll like that. Um, I, I would challenge that to some degree. I think you could probably still do read aloud to some category, uh, but I would suggest other things um, in the entertainment realm. Because, again, again, don't... don't don't fixate on the on 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 the, the the medium. Fixate on the means, on the habit. And so, something that we've done that actually led into the readout was family movie nights. So every Friday since I can remember, since the dawn of time at the Lightano household, family movie night. The kids pick a movie, whatever god awful movie they want to watch for the seventeenth time. And I'll sit there and I'll watch the movie with them every Friday, every Friday, every Friday. Well, now the habit's been built, right? And so guess what I can do another night in the week? Okay, we do that on Friday for you. Can we do something for me? And they're like, yeah, okay. And that's how it started. So uh, if your kids have a particular uh, show they like to watch or a movie they like to watch or, or, or I don't know, a board game. This dude, Nick, is board game master right there. So, so ask him, create a habit of convening the family around an activity that, that people are going to enjoy and then build off of that. So jumpstart uh, sleeping habit would be family movie night for older kids. If you've got younger kids, uh, uh, story time is fantastic. You don't just have to read biblical storylines. You can, you should, but add fiction um, to them. Uh, and we can give you um, a, a series of books. So I think I've already gone way too long. So I'm going to stop. Uh, so you got some questions there. Um, there's five. Um, you could go through all those, ask your own. Um, but what, what, what I'd really, really like, um, I'm thinking on the fly. And again, Nick didn't vet this. So this is his fault, right? He didn't filter my notes. So if I say anything, um, I'm going to take you up on that offer, dude. And, and to you graybeards, you, you guys who have kids in the, in the teen you know, uh, season, um, 
We would love to hear what you guys do in these categories. Uh, most of us, I'm, I'm, I'm looking around the room, the guys that I know, m- most of us have kids uh, either in the preteen and lower or just about teenage and, and lower, uh, but I wouldn't know what to do with a 16-year-old. Uh, so, m- Mike, I, I, I got two girls, man, and your gr- Annette's, what, 17 now? 16. 16, and, 16 and 15? Yeah, my girls are 11 and 8. So, dude, you know, help me out. Like, how do you, how have you worked? Uh, Ronnie, you got two girls. Your girls are in their 30s now, right? Uh, yeah, they're Yeah, so, but you're still dad, right? Um, um, th- th- are they in the house or out of the house? They're out of the house. Uh, they're in the house today uh, and tomorrow. Yeah. So, so, so uh, you know, how, how, do you, how do you think through um, your, your fathering of your girls, right? Um, 11 and 8, uh, mid-30s, teenage years. Um, so would you guys mind if I hand over the floor to some of these guys for about 5, 10 minutes, and then we can go to the questions? Would, 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 would that be cool? Right. So older guys, how, how have you m- managed wise gray beards? I, I love that term, gray beards. Yeah, I didn't realize that. <laughs> No hair but gray beards. Um, no, it, for, for me, they guilt me into it. And I'm so grateful to the Lord. Diane saw me Sunday at church. And she said, hello, head, headship. That's how she greeted me in church Sunday morning. Hello, headship. So it really brings me back to mind. But it also shares with, it, it helps me to understand where they may have seen some modeling. Okay, no perfect, there's nothing perfect. Uh, and they are, uh, they're not my biological kids. Uh, so there's, there's lots of stories behind that. But uh, I spend time with them. Uh, Diane probably more so than Jesse, but they do come to me with some things, and 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 uh, I am just grateful for that because they are thirty nine. They're thirty nine. Have no grandkids, and uh, yeah, it's it's just the relationship. I kind of had that authority piece, uh, whatever it said, authority without what was it? Oh, the authority plus wisdom. Authority plus wisdom. And uh, they always, I came into their lives with, as an authority figure, if you will. They had never had a dad. Their dad died when they were very, very little. So it was just uh, the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the Lord gave them to me, I gave them back to the Lord. And I just tried to follow whatever it was that he, he gave me as a model. And I did have a model from my dad. My dad was in the house and uh, an authority figure. Not as relational, okay, but he was an authority figure and played the ball and did all that kind of stuff. So with my girls, I spent a lot of time reading with them. Um, they could never use the word bored, and I'll end here. They could never use the word bored in the house because if they said anything about being bored, go get your bike. And then we would go through it and be like, ah. You know. <laughs> then they figured out not to use the word bored, but it was always going back to the Bible. Yeah. Okay. Cliff, let me let me ask you a question, and then Mike, I'll, I'll come back to you. So, Cliff, you've got how many grandkids? Well, when Nelly comes on board, that'll be eleven. Eleven grandkids. Yeah. Um, okay. uh, four boys or three boys? Three sons. Three sons. Uh, three sons and eleven grandkids. So you're 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 having a second go, right at yeah. at the at the little. So, uh, brother, share share wisdom with us. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> That's our heart. Ah, um, sheesh. There's a little vacation being planned right now, as you said, the littles. I guess that's a current term because uh, this is our oldest son and Gonzalez with uh, his wife, Abby. They're, Abby's very good at planning, like Belinda. And, um, but then Ashley said, uh, Ashley said, I got the two-day Dollywood, so we're going to Dollywood, I guess, uh, <laughs> tickets for, I'm going to need to know. And we'll have five whitewater rafting if Honey and Pops are okay with watching The Littles and Maisie. So, yeah, that's what we'll be doing, watching The Littles and Maisie while they do that. And uh, then further down, my son said, uh, this is Cliff, the older brother, said, uh, I'm so excited. No, that was Abby, his wife. I'm so excited for this family vacation These are our special people. <laughs> they never stop being littles in one sense, you know. Uh, this is going to be a blast. Um, so I think that uh, that's, that's our heart, you know. But um, the, the, gosh, I could go in so many directions, but just sum it up this way. Um, there's no right and wrong. Uh, I like that in terms of um, things that you might be doing where you think, oh, rats, you know, that's a miss. <laughs> Those five years were a miss. <laughs> I would disagree. And, um, you know, I just read something that a little guy went to his, he was by his next door neighbor and the older fella had lost his wife or something. And he just crawled. He just crawled up on, you know, he lost his wife and a little fella crawled up on his lap. And later his mother said, well, what did, what did you say to him? He said, nothing, just helped him cry. And, um, you know, you're, you're with your kids. And I'll tell you this, um, Lucas came, uh, five-year-old, uh, you know, I'm in the kindergartners now. And um, so we must have made friends because we were doing, toward the end, playing the little games and, and putting the pieces together and all. And he said, what is your name? Does he have kind of a low voice? Is that how you would describe it? Yeah, low voice. And he, what is your name? I said, Cliff. He said, Cliff. I bet he said my name ten times after that. It was, I, <laughs> Cliff, 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 for different precious. So what I've seen here, and I'll sit down, is the um, evidence of godly parents who have invested their lives uh, in their children, um, always feeling like you could do a better job, but, um, you know, <laughs> you have uh, a lot to show for it. I don't know what's going on here. Man. <laughs> this is nuts. Oh man, uh, we're, we're talking about kids. 
Great, that's where our hearts are. Grateful for you, yeah. man. No, um, no, no, no. I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one of the one of the you 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 see some of these moments, right? Where where you know Cliff, three grown boys, um, eleven grandkids. Um, uh, Aaron Vogel was teaching. I don't remember where or when, but maybe a couple of years ago. I think he was doing. He was teaching Alpha. He was teaching um, the the. Uh, Alpha uh, week of prayer, and uh, Frank asked him to do that, and he starts a story, and he puts a picture on the screen of, um, you know, it's like you're sitting in the back seat and you're looking uh, at a, the rear view mirror of the car, and then you see Cliff's face, and um, he put that picture up there, and then Aaron goes on to talk about how that's what he saw for. I don't know how many, it's just, he remembers every time he got in that car, he would see those eyes. And then that dude, our, our there you go. For a of years, there you go. Seen, yeah. But that dude would just make a point to connect with him, to talk to him, to love on him. Uh, it, it doesn't, this doesn't look like a morning session. It doesn't look like an evening session, but, but there was a habit there that when that man got in this, in that car with his son and they were doing the, the paper boy thing, uh, there was intentionality and a habit formed that had an indelible mark on on Aaron's life, and so um, to thank you for that example, brother. So um, older guys, but Mike. So you. So we have um, mid thirties, um, older 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 grandpa. Mike, you're in the you're in the heat of things, right? So you've got two boys, uh, early twenties. Um, um, uh, older boys love, left the home, so, but you still got two girls in the house. Um, uh, so the first thing I would say is, brother, how can we pray for you? <laughs> got two teenage girls at home. How could we <laughs> lay hands on this man? Um, so, so I, I, I want to start here, right? So the first part of my life was more welcome to testify. I was all about outcomes, going fast, getting there, didn't care about journey, style, anything. Didn't care about anything. I wanted the outcome. Hmm. I did my marriage that way. I did my parenting that way. Uh, I burned a lot of things down, right? And so the boys, I parented differently than my girls. They had a different dad than they had today. Than my girls. Um, but my oasis for my boys and for me was always reading. So my clients knew. I would let a client wait in the restaurant pause out of town because reading to them was sacred. And I bring the Hardy Boys with me and the devotion. And they would go, "Where's Pelt?" My old partner Bevan, when I was uh, when he used to work with me, Frank. And they, he'd say, "I was reading to his kids." And they'd be, "Wow, that's cool." Nobody ever got mad. I'd read a chapter to the Hardy Boys. We do a little devotional, and that was our thing. Right? We were connected. Uh, when at home, man, and get in their room with them get in their beds with them, lay on the floor with them with a blanket or whatever, and read. And that was our thing. All the noise around everything else, all the yelling and the wrong, all that went away. That was our like safe place where we talked about stuff, right? So so that's what we did with the boys. And then when they got older, I helped coach them in wrestling and stuff, and then scouting, and then you know, we did a whole bunch of other stuff, right? So, so that was our connection. And on a camp out with no phones, no anything, or the woods, canoeing, whatever, you talk about a lot of stuff because there's nothing else to do. So, right? 
So, so that was with the boys. The girls aren't interested in all that, and I'm not interested in gymnastics. Volleyball, <laughs> and you can't yell or scream in tennis, and nobody's getting pinned. So it's really hard to enjoy the hell out of that, right? But, uh, but anyway, so with them, it's the drive to practice. It's our time. Hmm. Here and I really battled because the phone rings. I'm alone, coming down. I'm the only one answering the phone and paying the bills and doing the work. So I have to sometimes make them feel important by saying, "Like Dad, you need to get Dad. Go ahead and get it. Dad, they call three times. You need to do whatever." And I, I have to uh, sometimes I have to take it, and we have to talk about that. I want to make this as brief as possible. I'm gonna, gonna do this, but I hate doing this. I want you to know that I don't, I don't like this, right? But it's three o'clock. It's in the middle of my work day, and I'm driving you somewhere. So I kind of have to do this. Uh, just communicating that, like kind of relatively weighting the activities. That call's not as important as that call. So you know what? I'm not going to take that. Right? This can wait five minutes. This can. You'll work with them at that. But so, so two things. Um, and this is for young dads. I went to a men's retreat, and I was I was a young dad, and Jacob might have been eight. And eight-year-old boys, when I was growing up, did not hold their dad's hand. I'm not trying not to get emotional, like you because I feel it. Um, and I was telling you, I don't know how to do that with my son. He went to hold my hand and do this, but I don't see anybody else doing that. And I feel like, no, no, we got to man up, because yeah, that's how we were in the 70s and 80s, right? You got to man up. We don't cry. We don't do this. We don't really, you know, with our dads. That's the deal. And I had a guy lean forward to me with tears in his eyes, and all the old men leaned over in the group. And they said, that boy. Good boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, stop holding your hands soon enough. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Yeah. And he did. It was really soon. And so to the young dads, I'd say, if they want that relationship with you, give it to them. I was so worried about them becoming men. You had to know how to fight. You had to know how to work. You had to know how to open a door. You had to know how to Yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And you had to know, you tell me a goal, you want to be a Navy SEAL? Cool, then every time you exhibit weakness or running or whatever, I'm going to tell you, that's not going to cut it. This is what you need to do. But you're very performance, right? But you articulated a goal, I'm helping you get to your goal. But the compassion was missing in a lot of that, right? And so, I'm really looking forward to being a grandparent because God hopes redemption. Hmm. But what I want to say was this, in this, what I'm taking away from this, breakfast, after the hurricane, we stayed at Sam and Abby Ebuyer's house. They're very gracious to take us in. Uh, when they get up in the morning, it's chaotic. They have little people. <laughs> but Abby gets up early, and she has a soft Christian music playing, and it's chaos in the kitchen. And Sam's like, put this gun on, and good stuff, and you know, all that. and everybody's doing something and going out the door. And there, but there's food in the kitchen. It's already set up. There's a setting for breakfast, right? 
there's granola and fruit and whatever. We all remember this, right? Because I actually bought all that stuff that we don't even eat as soon as we got home from there because I like this so much. The setting, but it's more the setting, right? And there is a togetherness in the morning. And they go out together. And there's like just stuff when they leave, you know? And, uh, and I thought, oh, wow, this is such a neat space. So I wrote create a breakfast setting. Food, space, time, materials. That means I get up early. That means I, I'm going to make sure it's there. That means when they come into it, it's not a, hey, you want to help me out here? You want to get this? You want to get that? You want to? But it's already set. So just come and enjoy this setting, our time together, right? And so for the girls, that has been, we do movie night. We do a lot more long talks. Uh, there's a lot more feel. They're girls, yeah. Yeah, wow, wow, two-hour talks. Like, oh, okay. Uh, I didn't know there were that many words. But the... But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's completely different with them. And I used to make them go on walks with me, and even though they don't want to go walk. And I used to do all that with them. And, uh, and I don't know why. I, I actually started my own business so I could have more time with my family. And I actually spend less time with my family. <laughs> it's stupid. I mean, it's just stupid. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the settings, the walks, the games. The, the places that are built out, that are sacred, that are like, we don't touch this. Um, reading, it's the biggest regret that I ever gave that up to the kids. I actually thought about, when you're talking about that, it's like, I need to go spend a ridiculous amount of money on something like a love sack, right? The big, goofy, overexpensive, not by that, but you know, but chair, and like create a space in my house where we can all just sit in these big chairs and talk. No TV. We've had no TVs that we've been drawing in house for two weeks. I love it. <laughs> I love it. That doesn't mean it's not down to Abby or something on the computer once in a while. Yeah. But whatever. But yeah, but I mean, I, I do agree with you that, that, again, the movie's not as important as the time. Yeah. Right? The, the, yeah. the building it around. The yeah. build, creating that spot, that this is our spot. People are welcome to come into our spot. Friends, right? Family, they come into our spot. But this is what we do. Yeah. Right? The ritual. Appreciate you, man. Dan, you've got. I met your son. How many uh, other kids do you have? I'm a 27 year old married daughter. Okay, so 27, and your son's. So 20 and 20, 27 and 29. Um, any any wisdom on, on your end? You're not his last time. Uh, I can be. Uh, wisdom. Uh, that's one of the key things that I heard very early on was the best way to love your kids is to love your wife. Um, so that relationship is what the relationship with your kids really stem from. Um, I grew up in a broken home, so I had no models there, so I looked really hard for um, successful families, successful folks who had been married for a long time. Uh, my mom was on her fifth husband by the time I graduated from high school. And uh, so I'm still on my first wife, which is after 43 years it'll be in, <laughs> in, in August. Congratulations, yeah. Uh, but the, the key thing is that it's, as the author said, as Ronald said, uh, is it's not a series of magic statements it's not a, a series of of 
uh, key things that you do, it's love your wife, um, help her to feel loved, help her to know she's loved. Uh, your kids, um, one of the things, as, as Mike said, I went to a, uh, we went to a family life conference before the kids were born. Uh, the women on one side, men on the other. Uh, the men were told, summarize your relationship with your dad when you were 13 in one word. Well, I grew up without a dad, so the word was who. So that struck me deeply to the point of my kids will never know a day that they weren't loved. So that's that's the key. How do you communicate that? How do you communi- communicate that in the authority, in the wisdom, in the in, in the training of them? Uh, it's easier to learn something if you're doing it than it is to hear, well, this is the right way to do something. So that's essentially it, that kids sniff out your inauthenticity. Is that the right word? Yeah. yeah. Um, they, they know when you're genuine or not. Yeah. yeah. And that's the key is walk with the Lord. Make sure uh, you uh, communicate that in everything you do. It's not a it's not a robe you put on on specific days hours. It's internalize it, make it real. Um, your relationship with the Lord comes out in every way. Um, make sure your kids see you in the the love that you have for your wife. Uh, that's that's vital. Uh, if they know they come. They're next in the pecking order behind your wife. That's a that's an interesting set of battles that you never have to fight because there's no way to pin you against each other. So uh, it's it's always easy to appeal to she who must be obeyed, but the uh, the key there is love your wife. Make sure you love your wife. Uh, deal with that relationship. Love your wife. Yeah, appreciate you, brother. So, I mean, we could go continue. I'm, I'm not going to put the other guys on the spot. Greg over here, Steve, Gary, Becker, who was over there. Um, I can say something. Yeah, go ahead. My, my kids are all teenagers, so I don't know if I have a gray in my beard, but my kids are all teenagers. And I have to admit, being regretful, I have to admit, being regretful for not doing you know, more of the daily habits when the kids were young. Uh, and I'll just encourage you that this is golden. Like, like the, that's really easy to do. And that's the whole point, is that it's, habits are easy, right? Being, being like really disciplined is hard, but habits are easy because that's how we're, we're wired. And so this is really low-hanging fruit, like just these morning habits, evening habits. When they're teenagers, it's harder because the kids are going in different directions. I mean, one kid's going to bed, but the other one's still doing homework. Or in the morning, one kid's gone before the other one even wakes up. So what has helped me is like the weekly habits. The movie nights are great. Um, I started as, actually as a result of pops. I started. I drive my. I drive two of my kids to school in the morning, and I kind of felt convicted that I was using that five minutes in the car. I was wasting that five minutes in the car. So I started every Monday, right first day of the week. Uh, I'll just say a prayer for the kids while we're in the car on the way to school, because it's just it's 
time that's built in. Everyone's so tired they're not saying anything anyway. So, uh, but the other thing is like weekly habits are good for teenagers. But one habit we did do as a family was whenever we would go on a trip, we would just take you know two minutes in the car, like right when we were all together about to leave on a trip, and we would just pray. You know, just very simple. Just thanks for the opportunity to go on a trip. Please keep us safe. You know, just basic stuff. And uh, we would do that pretty pretty habitually any time we went on a trip. Well, one time my one time uh, our flights like got canceled, and uh, we had to like wait at the airport forever, and then we ended up having to wait until the very next day, and like a bunch of stuff went wrong. And my kids noticed we didn't pray, and that was the whole reason the trip was off. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's totally true. If you do something enough, that it becomes a habit. And the kids notice that. That's really where you're in that sweet spot. So. Yeah. Appreciate that. So p- p- part of what I've really enjoyed about um, Nick's leadership and, and, and really I, I know I know this has happened, but this is a way of, of me trying to continue to push that idea where um, th- this is not the expert desk. Uh, I'm figuring this, things out, this, this thing out with you guys. Every speaker could, could say the same thing. We're, we're trying to figure this out. But the, the beauty of biblical fellowship is precisely that, that if you don't know some of these guys, um, we've got mixed families in the room. We've got families with broken past in the room. We've got families who are struggling. There's, there's a bunch of wisdom for you guys in the room to garner from w- one another. And so what, what Nick's vision has been is, is how can we equip dads with content but with relationships? So I would highly encourage you guys, if you're in my season, to, to go, go elbow one of these other guys and say, hey, bro, how, how, this is what I'm doing. Help me out. Let's, let's go to, to coffee. Like continue to build up that, that, that uh, father fellowship. Father fellowship. Father fellowship. Look at that. The father, um, father fellowship dimension. Um, we need one another. Um, these guys are wise. Uh, they're, 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 they're great. I mean, I talk to some of them on a regular basis. I ask them for advice because um, they, they know in some of these categories better than I do. And so just highly, highly recommend guys that you, that you avail yourself and that you help some of the, the other guys who are joining the Pops ministry, right? So guys who are coming in and introduce them to um, one of these guys, get to know them um, as, you hear, as you hear their stories, plug them into the life of uh, the lives of, of um, some of these brothers. So um, Nick, what would you like us to do now, man? Take a break, call it a day, do discussion questions. Uh, first of all, thank you, Ronald. Uh, that was excellent. And I'm super grateful for your calling an audible there. And let, especially with this topic where, kind of like I said, the seasons are tricky. And they look. this one looks, probably of all the topics, looks the most different from season to season. Uh, so I was really grateful for you calling an audible and getting some of these older dads who have been through the grind where a certain amount. Um, I, I appreciate, Mike, your... Willingness to say, here's where I screwed up and here's where I did right. And knowing the difference. And sometimes when we know we've screwed things up, we want to throw everything out. But you did a good job of sifting baby from bathwater there and saying, this was really good. This was not so great. And I, I just, I remember the first time we talked about Pops a little over a year ago, hearing that in your heart. And I was like, I need that guy there. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, Ronnie. All you guys that shared. Um, this is usually when we would transition to table conversation, but we're approaching 11 o'clock. That's not your fault. We started late, Ronald. And, uh, and you didn't go especially long. And then we had this, this other wisdom from these guys. I think it was all a valuable time. 
Uh, one thing that you didn't talk about, if you don't mind me filling in one thing that he did talk about in the, uh, in the book is the bedtime liturgy. And I think this is especially for some of you younger guys or guys with younger kids. That is something I've instituted with my kiddos. Um, the one that he does, I don't have a page number, Ronald, if you can see it and throw me a page number. The, uh, the, do you know that I love, do you see my eyes? Do you know that I love you? Do you know that I love you no matter what? I can't even say this without getting choked up. Just like you. I'm, I'm a softy. Do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? What page? Six. Six. Do you know I love you no matter what good things you do? Uh, who else loves you like that even more than I do? Because there's the tying of my love for you and then how God's love is even better. You know, it's the same in, in shape, ideally, but bigger and better and more robust. Uh, and I have one of my kids who I know when it's been a rough day, doesn't answer those questions easily. And the, he, I'm outing him, but he'll give me no's. Do you know how to love you? No. Um, and on those days, it's the most important. It's the most important to be like, no, I do. I really, really do. Um, cause I, I need you to know that, and that's let me, lets me know a, that I'm too focused on performance during the day and that I've probably built a house in which I'm too focused on performance. Kind of like you were talking about on execution, Mike. Um, but I want you to know that the number of good things you do and bad things you do don't change the equation of how much I love you. Um, but I'll also say this about that kid. He has recently started getting up. He wakes up at six in the morning by himself. He just does it. And he has started waking up and doing his homework first thing in the morning. He just wakes up and goes and does school uh, because he's realized I can build a habit here. And I see that this is when I'm at my best. This is when I'm most productive. So I'm going to wake up. I'm going to apply myself. I'm going to eat that frog. As they say, first thing in the morning, I'm going to jump at that. And I was like, dude, it took me 40 years to figure that out. <laughs> You're nine and you've got that. But then I also thought, you know what? It took me 40 years. And then not long after that, he started doing it. It's because he woke up and saw me doing it. So dads, those moments of, I think, was it Mike and I talk about this? Like there are worse things in the world than you reading your Bible and your kid coming in and interrupting you. There are worse things in the world than your kid finding being like, I'm trying to have Bible time, dude. I do try to do mine really early, but your kids seeing those habits, like what do you say? Our habits form us and we form our kids. Um, and we build the habits that form our kids too. Um, so I'll just encourage you guys in that bed, especially the little ones in that bedtime blessing. Cause you don't know what your kids are going to run to where their minds are going to go. And, and you want that steadfast foundation of your love for them and God's love for them. So, um, Again, Ronald, thank you, man. Thank you for highlighting this stuff. And again, I've talked with Ronald a lot about this stuff. He does the thing. And we're going get to get together and do a podcast later this month if he doesn't skip town too soon. And, uh, and we're going to explore this th these thoughts even more. This is usually when we would have table conversation. Table leaders, you're off the hook today. Uh, just because it's getting late. Um, but, and I also want to highlight what Ronald said. Mentor dads. Like, we've got these old guys in here for a reason. You know, I know there are guys that don't have kids in here and they're not applying this stuff on a daily basis in their homes. They're here for you. Um, so grab other dads. I want more young dads here too. I want more teen dads here. Grab other dads as you hear these guys talk and what they're saying resonates with your soul. Like when I tell other dads, you should be here. It sounds like Nick's just trying to pump, pump numbers for pops. 
when you see the value in the, in the gold that is coming out of these guys' mouths, in the gold that is in the word of God and distilled through a great teacher, like grab guys and be like, dude, if there's any value in this, grab guys and be like, dude, this is, this is awesome. We are, we're digging into some of the most important things that we will do on this earth uh, and figuring out how to do them well. So that's my plea to you. Uh, be my marketing team. Tell your friends what you heard today, the, the, just the gems of wisdom that you got here today. Grab guys, bring them. Uh, they don't have to, it doesn't matter that we're into the book already. Grab them and, and help them get caught up in, in this, what I think is a really great thing that, that these guys are doing to care for some of us younger dads. So it's their ministry in, in many ways more than mine. So with that, let's pray. And then if you guys, I mean, feel free to stay and chat if you want to, but I want to, it's almost 11. So I want you guys to feel free to, to get out of here. So what's that? Oh yes. Um, I will let you know, uh, <laughs> you know, this when a book doesn't make you go through it sequentially. It's a little too, uh, it depends on who I've got talking and I've got two guys that I'm trying to figure out what order I'm going to have them do in. I think we're either going to do meal times and conversations, which is a good spin off of this, I think, or we might do work and play. So it's going to be another two for a week. Um, it depends on who I can get talking when and how I want to utilize that. So I will let, I'll send out emails shortly uh, within this week, knowing about that, hopefully. Uh, thank you for asking that, Greg. Let's pray guys. God, we can't do this. <laughs> we cannot do this. If the fate of our children's soul rested on our habits and our abilities to execute them perfectly, uh, Lord, they would be lost. Uh, and God, the testimony we have is that many of us grew in homes where these things weren't done regularly. Uh, but Lord, you are sovereign over our souls and you save us regardless of where we come from the sins of our fathers and mothers and grandfathers. Lord, you save us in spite of all of those things. Um, and Lord, you will do your work in our kids again, because you love us no matter what bad things or good things we do. And you love our kids no matter what bad things and good things we do. Lord, you will save them regardless of how well we execute those things. And so Lord, in the freedom of knowing that we can take risk in this area and not, not foil your plans, Lord. Give us wisdom, Lord, and courage to start new patterns where we might look like phonies that might, like, let us make it weird. Help us to be comfortable making it weird at first so that, Lord, as, as, uh, as Ronald testified, as, um, as Mike testified, it, it gets weird when it's not done. Lord, we pray for the faithfulness Lord, that you would give us strength and perseverance in faithfulness to make these things become the habits of our household or the things that we just do. Lord, that's what we need. Lord, I pray for our kids that they would see the things that we do. Lord, that you would help them to see our hearts for them even when we're imperfect. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for these guys and their commitment to love their kids well practically. Help us to do that well in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.